anyway, here's to here's to musical venture. Yeah. And thanks for letting me record you on my on my podcast here. Welcome to the China Arts Podcast. I'm Kirk Kenny, and today on this episode we have John Flower, China historian, ethnomusicologist, and upright bass player. This week I'd like to make a special announcement before beginning the podcast. Compass World Arts is putting on a world music camp this summer, third week of August, at the Linden Center in Xizhou, China, just up the road from Dalian. For more details, check out compassworldarts.com. Space is limited, so please apply as soon as possible. Look forward to seeing you. And did y'all order? You did you order? No. No. no I'll do it. He's ordering something weird, so yeah, you, you, you can get the salt see too. If you can get some salt. Okay. Although I'm not going to have any. I want you guys to eat. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So Kirk and I have this you know band that you've heard us play you've basically heard what we do yeah but we're trying to we would like to be able to play world music festivals and we'd like to be able to tour through the states and it seems kind of dumb to hire a Appalachian band from China to go over to the states so we're trying to trying to figure out a few different doesn't have to all be the same gimmick but we're trying to figure out a few interesting things to do to you know, oh, American guys play string band instruments from China. You yeah. know, spice that up, but we're kind of stuck. Do you know any? Do you know any Chinese musicians? Uh, few. Just bring them over with us. Well, I mean, if you had somebody who played Arhu. Which to me is like would be the hardest. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, you're a banjo player. You're a good banjo player. You can you can pick up a sensha, right? Probably, yeah, probably. And uh, so you play that, and then you get some guy who's real good. Better yet, some super hot chick who's really good at the arhu. Yep. And the uh, and then get somebody to play the yuqi uh, or the pipa. Okay. There's actually a. And I'm uh, sure you can get you know that's a women's instrument. So. Hot chick to do that. Yeah. Hot chick to do that. And and even these kids are they're listening to what do they call eight women? What is the band called? I don't know it, but it sounds I heard the name. It's somewhere. it's it's eight or twelve, you know, hot Chinese chicks playing. Uh, jazzed up. They're playing like Kletzmer music on, oh. on uh, you know, Arhu and stuff, and they're all over YouTube. So, and you can you can do and you so can sing we, Chinese. So, uh, would we do uh, would do fiddle tunes or traditional Chinese folk tunes or some mix of both? You could do mix of both. Any yeah. any, any Chinese. I, I'll play you. I play you just um, from my computer now. Two really cool uh, folk tunes that nobody's ever heard. That'd be amazing. They're not the, uh, you know, you're right to look for this material because you know how frustrating it is in China where 5,000 years of musical history and they always play the same damn three songs. Right? Yeah. Really ambush cool. on eight sides. The stupid, <laughs> horrible, like, uh, butterfly thing. You mm. know? The lovers? Yeah, the lovers. Mm-hmm. 
which I can't stand. It makes me vomit when I hear it now. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's it. Yeah. Whereas even, I mean, the shtick that we did back in 98 was I sang Chinese folk tunes mm -hmm. in Chinese, you know, and the band, they, they played, in the, they backed it up because it wasn't that hard. In the American idiom. Yeah. Well, okay. no, I played Chinese, it was Chinese folk songs, but we did it with American instruments. Okay. And uh, that wasn't easy. Um, did they like that? Yeah, I mean, I would get requests all the time back home to, oh, sing that Chinese song. You know, awesome. Kang Ding Chingo. Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah. That's, for us, you know, it's like here, it's, you guys were it's right number there, right? 83 on the Casio, right? <laughs> in fact, right. I heard it as a ringtone in Charlotte, North Carolina. I heard it, this guy had a Nokia phone. And it was his ringtone, this black guy in, in Charlotte. It was just at a 7 Eleven. I'm getting gas, <laughs> and here it's. That's awesome. You know, but audiences didn't know, and they liked it because. And then we'd sing revolutionary songs like. Awa Renmin Chang Shingo, you know. Gunja Mao Jushi. You're singing this Ganja year? Or in the States? Both places. Okay. And, uh, you know. Here they find it kind of campy and fun, <laughs> and back home it's like, ooh, it's exotic. Ooh, it's exotic. Um, but we always did it as it was just like on the American side, it mm -hmm. was just my buddies. And it's like, hey, let's. Uh, who who went with you that time? Okay. Danny nicely. Okay. Uh, Slinky Cobblestone. Mm -hmm. Dave Van Devender. Mm -hmm. Morgan Morrison. Uh, and Tara Lindhart. Okay. Um, you know, kind of like couples, friends, mm -hmm, came mm -hmm. over and played. And um, you, you it was before Abby Washburn, because mm -hmm. I remember talking with her afterwards when she was just starting to do it. And, and she did a lot of Sichuan kind of based stuff too, actually. You know, I, I've never met her. I've never even seen her play, but I've talked to her on the phone. Um, I don't know that she's so much Sichuan. I thought she was more kind of something interpretive. You can write a song in Chinese. Mm, yeah, totally. Or you can... Do you, do you guys know... You ever heard of Keller Williams? You know Keller yes, Williams? Is? Yes, no, totally. Who's, who's Keller Williams? And can I have your battery charger thing? That device you have to charge? It is the empty, but I have my cord. I can get it for you. Okay. So Keller is an old buddy. Let me get a cord. You guys... Okay. And... Um, you know Keller Williams? Yeah, he's, a, he's an old buddy. He's from Fredericksburg, Virginia. He's, wow. We used to play with him 
when he was a kid. <laughs> But I think there's, you know, talk to Cobblestone when he comes. Um, he's doing the fusion thing, and he does Floyd Fest every year. Okay. And we want to do Floyd Fest. And uh, we talked about doing, like, a Chinese opera Floyd Fest, you know, where you just would merge a bunch of songs and get all dramatic and... Right? <laughs> Not really Chinese opera, but do like a... As if it were. Get the yeah. costumes on. They, or just, they won't know the difference. just do something. I mean, I used to do... I do this with... Um, I did this with uh, Leftover Salmon, which is a band that played out in uh, Colorado. They're like polyethnic cage of slam grass. Slam grass? And uh, my really good friend Mark Van was their banjo player. He died a few years ago um, on March 4th. Uh, but I would go to their gigs, and the, this, this, their lead singer, Vince Herman, is, uh, he's a crazy guy. And he and I would go up and do Chinese things. And, Wow. Just for fun. I mean, it's, it's all but all very kind of campy. And sure, really sure. Well, it's, it's kind of refreshing in the middle of something else to get some... Yeah. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> so I sang yeah, this, yeah, little, this little bit from a Sichuan opera called Suan Ming Xianshan. Mm -hmm. And then... Uh, and then... Uh, and then I took up that song from the movie Hong Galiang, you know. Mei mei ni da dan di wang jian zou Wang jian zou you know that song? Uh, no, I don't. But that, I mean, that, that can go. <laughs> and then, you know, they all got into it. It's, it's super easy. Right. So, so we, we used to do it. We've done that for, for years. But never anything serious, you know. And, uh, there's so many good songs. I mean, there's so many wonderful, like, real folk tunes that you could get and and adapt to. It sounds like you have a few in your pocket. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I did. It was my shtick for a while. Yeah. It was my shtick. Yeah. But they were not serious. So I sang Lani Wan, you know, which is the, the North China folk song. That was appropriated by those those song catchers, yeah. and turned the lyrics into revolutionary lyrics. Mm. But everybody knows Lani Wan. Um, Is that uh, blind, blue fish? No, you know because. Uh, uh, oh. Right. But that's a real North China folk song. From from Shanxi, uh -huh. that they they put these revolutionary lyrics to, and people of a certain age uh, in China they all sing along when you mm -hmm. sing that song because that was part of the whole their youth. Yeah, was their youth. Yeah. Yes, their youth. But even that to me is not that's not what you're talking about. Which is like, okay, I will play you a couple songs by this guy Liang Huiqing that are their 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 folk songs. Mm -hmm. But they're not inaccessible, you know, because mm -hmm. cer there's a certain kind of folk song that is so there's so much ululation and you know <laughs> yeah. that it's like 
you can't not, sing along to yeah, it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, can't like tap your foot to it. Sing it to your friends around the campfire. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. But whereas he had a, he had a bunch of songs that were uh, that were tunes, you know, mm-hmm. little tunes. Uh, and, that, yeah, I mean, our our my dream that I'm embarrassed about because it's so grandiose is to actually find some of these tunes. They don't have to be totally unknown, but they just have to be widely unknown by Chinese people and perform them back to them as a mirror and in a serious way, not in a campy way, and go, hey, this is your amazing culture. Did you know that? And they would be like, you know, and get them interested. That's happened in America sometimes. I mean, to a certain extent, the Beatles, yeah. you know, the Rolling Stones. I was going to say, yeah. Hey, take a look. Take a look at what you did. Yeah. Mm. And people appreciate it when it's reflected back because it's kind of put in a novel framing. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I actually, I had one moment like that. Oh, really? I had one moment like that where this old man in the village had taught me a, a shangge, and it was the simplest one. And uh, uh, so we did this tour, and every gig was a disaster. That's what mm-hmm. I was talking about. And finally, we got to the last gig, and it was in Chengdu. Well, my wife and I had been doing stuff in, in Sichuan for, you know, at that point, uh, like like almost a decade. We got all the people out from the village to come into Chengdu. We played at the at the provincial at the provincial ho- opera house right on the square in Chengdu because the guy who's our promoter he was he said we're going to have one good show damn it <laughs> and we went there and he invited the provincial party secretary so it was the whole thing the big audience you know and um, and we invited all these people in from the village and I sang the mountain song that the guy taught me uh-huh. and he had just died like the year before that. And, uh, you know, it was like really hard to do and I was really scared. But it was absolutely the greatest musical moment I've ever had. It was like triumphant. You know? And everybody was like, wow. <laughs> Not so much impressed at me, but just like they knew that something was, that it was like, it, was, it had meaning, you know, and we killed the concert. <laughs> we finally had good sound. Yeah. We finally had good sound. It was the last show. Every other thing was like sucked, you know. We had good sound. Everything was set up. We actually had a chance to rehearse. They got a, a, a really pretty gal from the Sichuan TV to come out with like pigtails and overalls, and <laughs> she she was the the Zhu Chi. Okay, right? was she like one of the professional Zhu Chi? Yeah, she was okay. a professional Zhu Chi, yeah, yeah. and then she did she helped me because before it was just me, you know, and uh, and then we came to this point, and it was the last, it was like the last song, and and I got to sing it, and, and that was didn't go anywhere. I mean, it wasn't like wow. There was a there was a mountain song revival. <laughs> the only revival was when I was in the village, and I'd been there for two years before I realized they even had any mountain songs. And the reason is, they quit singing them after the famine, when half the people died in the famine, and they never sang them. And there were young people in this village who had no idea 
that there was something called Shanghizi. They didn't know that. They're like, what is this thing? And I heard, I mean, I lived in, I'd been living there for two years before yeah. I, I somehow heard, I, they said, I said, Shanko? What's the Shanko? And they said, oh, it was the song we used to sing. And then I started to say, I'd go around to every house and say, can you sing, can you sing, can you sing? And so everybody was singing. And, and it was even to the point where these guys couldn't remember the words, and they'd say, they'd stand up, and they'd start singing, and they would pick up an imaginary hoe, and they would do this as they were singing. That was the only way they could so, remember the oh, words. Oh, like the movement helped them yeah, kind of access because the it was, that's how it was done. It was done while you were working, and, uh, and these young people, you know, they had no idea. They had just no idea what that this they, even existed. What did they think about it? They thought it was a thing for old men. Oh, oh we were in trouble. <laughs> Busted. The boss found us drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. No, they thought it was for music for old men. Hmm. But uh, but oh, now those old men are all dead. And, uh, uh, wow, your tapes might be the only record yeah, of those tapes. I think tapes. it's the only record of those tapes. Okay, are they cassette? Uh, I, I have them on CD and I have it okay. on cassette. You've got a digitized version, right? I got digitized version. Backups. I have backups. A, a bunch of it online. Do you have a website that you can Yeah, I got a website that's okay. got an article on Mountain Songs. Mm -hmm. But you know. Why don't you say that name of your website right now for the podcast yeah, plug listeners? It. Um, it's called SichuanVillage.org. One word, and it's called Moral Landscape in a Sichuan Mountain Village. Okay, it's way buried in there. But uh, yeah, but there's some good songs. But they're not um, they're not part of a living tradition. Anymore.
size of that bee. It's almost intimidating. Do not drink your beer. That's a... Oh, God. But that was a, there was a, there was a kind of mini revival for a while of mountain songs, but it was purely to sing for me, you know, who who was interested. That's an, it's a, a very highly localized revival around it sort of followed you around. Yeah, <laughs> they knew that I was interested, in it, and then they would say, "Oh, you know, he knows it. You should go go to him." You, you say it's not a living tradition, but like to some, I mean. It's obviously an extreme case with your village, but I think to some extent, a lot of the old-time music that we listened to was almost a dead tradition. I mean, it was—it was, it only exists because of those old-time revivalists. It'd be dead by now. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. I'm I guess that's true. I'm thinking of uh, Alan Jabur, uh, and uh, you, you know him? And... Uh, to, to a lesser extent, like Tom and Gerald and those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of moment, you know. It, it's when... Uh, so all of that music was intimately tied to agriculture. Yeah. I mean, they had what they call sujuto, sujuto, which means four, four lines. Okay. And the sujuto was, uh, you know, much shorter. Uh... And whereas the Shangutsu were longer kind of ballads right. that we sung. And, um, the Sujito were all about keeping the rhythm of work. Yeah. And, and there was actually a kind of heyday in the collective period when they would sing these things, and they did revolutionize some of these songs. Right? There's an article, uh, I can't remember the guy who wrote it, but it's called Love Songs of the Great Leap Forward. Oh. Where the really they actually would hold these big concerts where people, where they, for the first time, they took mountain songs out of their natural context and turned them into performance, right? Kind of like the duigo here, uh -huh. and the duigo here are really like the mountain songs, but they turned them from being, you know, part of, of work and like men and women flirting how do you flirt in a gender segregated society mm. you do it by singing back and forth mm -hmm. and you know who's that singing and you know who they're singing to yeah. right? but it's all kind of done with a wink and the doublon did, did you ever see that TV show I mean it's modern like I mean not that long ago 10 years maybe like uh, it's like originally it was a book it's about um, it's about these basically these young people who were sent down and then it uh -huh. compares their lives then in this village in, I think, Shanxi, and then later in places like Beijing in the kind of like post-80s or post-80s reform period. Uh, and it kind of tracks them. But then eventually they made this, maybe two actually, Dejuju out of them. Um, and the first one had, I mean, it featured Sintenyo and like Shango like very, very prominently. And like it has like scenes where they're singing across these chasms to each other. Yeah. You know? like flirting yeah um, totally but see I wonder how much of that I mean so so you have this moment mm -hmm. right when agriculture is collectivized and at least out in Sichuan so many people die and it's unbelievable mm -hmm. that 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 whole context was in then just changed completely mm. oh so when they they, you're saying they stopped singing them after like 1960 or yeah after 1960 yeah after 1960 and when you asked them why, they said, what was there to sing about? 
meaning what was there, what was there left of the old life that would that would be natural sin. And then what fills that gap? Ganja Maojushi, Ganja Gongchandan, which, you know, if you look at the nostalgia now, that's what they're singing. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about there was spirit back then. But that's already a point when, the, you know, what we would call, uh, what I would call a real, a real living tradition was already dead. Mm. But, so this is the spicy Indian veggie pizza. Right. Wow. I'm excited about this. Should we maybe get one more beer? Yeah. Maybe two? What is, what is the name of this? Hey. Hey. Yeah. This is... Dig in, we got plenty of food here. I know you're just dying to... I can't got to try Indian. Experience the Chinese Indian pizza. This is a Silk Road pizza. Mm. I don't know, I mean, I probably exaggerate the, uh, the break, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't, maybe. But it's only from my own experience of being in a place where But really, I, I basically recorded three guys, now that I think about it, that who really sort of... One was this guy, Zhu Congde, and he, um, he was a great storyteller and, uh, and was a bit of a show-off <laughs> and, uh, and a, a very friendly, warm guy. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a song about him that... Oh, and he was the guy who taught me that uh, that mountain song that, that you have to sing in Chengdu. And then there was another guy, Wu Guangkui, and he uh, he he, was, uh, he could sing real high. Oh, cool! And uh, he's also a good singer. But probably the best guy was this guy Liang Hechin who was from, I was telling you about it, He's, he was from a, a place called Baoxin County in Ya'an. And he, he learned from his mother the, the old ballads. Mm -hmm. And then he learned, then he went off with his father during a long march and marched along when he was like nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and so he remembers some of these old, the, some of the songs that the Red Army sang when they were marching. And it was cool because they actually customized the words to where they were marching through. You know? Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, that's a very cool song. And then 
his father died in the Battle of Hojin. Hojin? Hojin. Okay. A, a firewell. Upgoing。四代的所以一起嘛,你看。哎,我們正在錄音。嗯。嗯。要不要唱歌給我們聽?我們錄音。怎麼樣?唱嗎?唱嗎?歡迎歡迎。唱吧。唱一個對歌,看
So, <laughs> so, so uh, these these young Chinese kids are interviewing this old old monk and asking him about his life and what happened, and he's saying this stuff, and they're just like, oh, okay, so. Um, when you were nine years old, you decided not to go to the state school system, but instead went to the uh, Lama school system. And I'm like, he didn't say that. And they're like, well, how do you know he didn't say that? You're not Chinese. I'm like, because there was no state school system here at, at that time. And they're like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and then it just went, it just went on and on like this. It's like, well, did you ask him what happened to the old temple? Well, it got submerged with the with the water, and I'm like, is that so? Is that really why they they left the monastery? And it's like, yeah, he said something about uh, some kind of a break um, during the 70s, but uh, it's like, okay, so but some actually, kind of break <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, they 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 tore the, the temple down during the Cultural Revolution, and then he he had to work as a farmer for all that time. He's like. No, no, no. And like just every single important fact about his life, most of which was tragic, they just like twisted into like this modern sensibility of the way things are now. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the guy, the, and, and he, you know, they, they asked him, oh, well, why did you go to the temple? Oh, to do shu. Yeah, and uh, and it's like, oh yeah, he he wanted to study math. I don't understand why he went to the Buddhist temple. Like, you uh, can't get a job that way. We still don't know why he didn't go to the university. And I'm just like, wow, you guys are such a lack of context, right? Yeah, wow. yeah, and and I tried to set them straight, and they were very, very hostile to me. And I actually, you know, they were kind of, they were a bit snot-faced little kids, right? Rich kids. How old are they? Thirteen, twelve, fourteen. And, 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 you know, there's this one particularly obnoxious guy who, frankly, had a problem getting along with all adults. Like, it was sort of an issue of his. And he was like, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know about China. You're not Chinese. And yeah. I said, you know, maybe you should be quiet, and maybe you don't know as much as you think you know. Yeah. And that's 13 year old And that's what... <laughs> and that just... The whole... I said that in Chinese. And the, and the whole, you know... Everyone just shut up. It was just like icy silence yeah, for the rest of the time. Well, and, 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 and the teacher who was running the thing talked to my boss about it and wanted to talk to me about it. Um, but my boss, being a good guy, kind of did the same thing I did, but in a more diplomatic way in front of the whole <laughs> school. <laughs> he had my back. Well, you, you know, he doesn't want... He's running these trips to help the kids understand their own country. He... The last thing he wants is for them to come away with like this, you know, topsy-turvy understanding of what's going yeah. on. Just reinforcing what they... Their preconceptions. What they, yeah, what they get, get caught. It's a sad thing. Yeah. But you know, there's a, there is kind of a, um, a sensibility now of, oh my God, we're forgetting who we are. Mm. Uh, yeah, we gotta. We have to like rediscover our roots. I really think that that this is the second period of uh, you know root seeking. Shungani the second period of that. When was the first? The first period was in the eighties. Um, when they did that uh, second folk song revival. When they did the second folk song revival, and when uh, 
you know, if you look at the movies at that time, like Hong Gao Liang, yeah, right. That's a classic because it's got it's got that you know super masculine like how <laughs> hot you know, mm. but then it's also got these folk songs in it, and that's that's really important part of the story. Mm. So the filmmakers were all over that in, in the eighties. But uh, is that Red Sorghum? Is that the film? Yeah, Hong Gao Liang. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th I think that's partly. I mean, a lot of the urban interest in places like Dali and Sedona is coming from that group seeking. But the loss has been gargantuan. Yeah. Yeah. But there are people talking about it, about the loss of knowledge, the, the loss of local knowledge, the extinction of local knowledge in China is is breathtaking. But people are now starting to go like, whoa, whoa, Breaks we're, we're losing all this stuff. <laughs> And uh, it's slow in coming, but uh, maybe they'll save some of it. Yeah, I mean, even a place like Xizhou, right? The more sort of progressive people who come from the ultimate anonymous, non-place places uh, like uh, urban eastern China, you know, they're coming here to try to see who they are. Yeah. Because you know, it's like they've lost that. Yeah. But it's always too late. Don't it always seem to go? <laughs> uh, but I think there's a, I think there's a concerted effort in intellectual service to find this stuff. But mm -hmm. I always I always love the reaction when people come to our Uenza. Uh, if it's a Westerner, they're always like. Wow, this place is so beautiful. This is amazing. And if it's a Chinese person, especially a non-Dali hippie, uh, they come in and they're like, wow, this is old. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you live in a dump, man. <laughs> it's like a guy in Fauquier County said to me one time, because we were cabin hippies back in the day, and he said, now, do you live that way because you have to or because you want to? <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a very good question. You know, that's a very good question. What was the answer? We want to. Both? We didn't have to. Mm. I mean, I, I expect it's the same for uh, people in, in your part of Dali, right? I mean, uh, when, when Cobblestone comes, he's going to definitely want to meet. He wants to meet the progressive thinkers. He wants to meet the... The uh, commune founders. I mean, he—that's his thing. As he goes around, uh, he's gone around the world in Europe and South America. And he goes to communes. And, and that's that's his thing. There's a there's there's, there's there's a commune. There's an actual commune in Dali. I'll take him down to it. Yeah, yeah. He would he would love to. Yeah. Which what's it called? It's called Richie Labs. It's where I lived for the first few weeks. Mm -hmm. I actually. I don't really regret leaving there because I'm in a good situation, but it actually would have been nice to spend a few more months there because it was, it was, uh, it's kind of a beautiful thing. How, how is that different? I mean, your, your situation now is kind of pretty communal. I mean, well, it's, it's communal, but it's not a commune per se. Okay. It's four guys and a baby. Yeah. <laughs> that two-legged dog is our Well, you're about to have a lot more, though, right? That's right. <laughs> uh, cool. Cobblestone, I, I think the most interesting people in my village are not the foreigners. Although there's a Japanese guy who's pretty interesting. He's, he's sort of like doing everything he can make himself, he's doing himself. 
soap, clothes, food, yeah. you know. But um, the most interesting people are these um, uh, YD Ren who have moved in from Shanghai, Guangzhou, Beijing that, to raise their kids. Those, those are the, they're not really hippies and they've got money, they got lots of money, but they don't care about money. They care about their kids. Yep. Now, uh, uh, last year, um, there's a, we kind of have a, a connection in Chengdu with the Waldorf community there. Okay, so there's a Waldorf school. Yeah, so last year, the girl uh, who was the daughter of the founder of the, the Waldorf school in Chengdu, she came here, and they were looking around. Is Yenza, is she working with them? I don't know. There was a guy who is, wanted is, to hire me. Is I Yenza said no. kind of young, like a Chinese girl? Like 20s? Well, she's a little older than 20s. Yenza, you must know. She knows, uh, like, Kat. Kat and Yenza are good friends. Okay. There's a, there's a Yenza who worked at a Zuhatia, like a, there's a farm, an educational center kind of. It would be, it would sound like her. She looks quite young. She's not in her 20s. She looks quite young. Okay. I'm sure it's, there's only one Yenza. She's Probably. Okay. But, um, by hippie, I don't mean like, you know, mm -hmm. sort of Rasta, Ganja type, but more like people who uh, have an intentional lifestyle. Yeah. You know, who, uh, uh, you know, care about creating them and uh, who, are, who are opting out of a dominant culture. Yeah. I guess you just wrote an article about that, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, that your story in New York the Global Times? Which one? The last one? The Global Times? The Global Times? What? Yeah. You're writing for the Global <laughs> Of all the things I would think of. <laughs> the Global Times. Yeah, I work for Fox News. Okay. Yeah, I, uh... Global Times and Fox News. They're the same. If you think about it. They're totally the same. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Wow. So you are in the belly of the beast. Well, I left it. I mean, I, I, I don't... I, I'm Hands totally... in many pots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh, that's an interesting place. I actually... I admire people who are on the front lines. I've actually met um, Hu Xijin and spoken to him on the... Only really talked to him on one occasion. Yeah. Who is, who is he? He's the voice of the Global Times. He's their Roger Ailes. He is... He's a, he's a more complicated character than Roger Ailes, actually. Because... Um, I think we all know what Roger Ailes is about, and I don't think he makes a secret of it. I think it's all like very upfront. Um, with uh, with Hushi Jin... His staff believe that he is a kind of um, crypto progressive um, because, because, for example, he is the only publisher who, who dares mention Tianlin in print. He'll, 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 he'll print that. Um, and it'll usually be like those students were naive and didn't know what they were doing during, you know, Tianlin incident. But... He said Tiananmen in print. Yeah. And for his staff, that's like, yeah, yeah, he did it. He did it. It's better than and, erasure. Right. Yeah. And, and again, like, there's many examples of this, but um, who's the guy who won the Nobel Prize? 
Liverpool Steve Liu Xiaobo. Liu Xiaobo. Yeah. He was the only uh, publication to print that guy's, other, other than the one small, uh, you know, government-approved Xinhua article that everyone was told, you can print this and it can't be on the front page, and that's it. He wrote six articles in a row on this guy, talk, talking basically about the fact that he, you know, fucked dogs and, you know, picked out his mother. But he just kept saying his name over and over again. This guy did not deserve to win the Nobel Prize. This guy did not deserve to win the Nobel <laughs> Which Prize. Which is another way of saying this guy won the Nobel Prize. Right, 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 right. 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 That's so Chinese. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... so That's <laughs> really funny. So his, so his staff think he's kind of great. Yeah, interesting. Very and, 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 you know, all the negative stuff he says about the, the West, well, they, they kind of agree with it. So he's like... He's not losing any points on that front. No, that's pretty easy. Yeah. Like so that kind of guarantees a readership. Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. So he's got a staff of believers. And um, and so you wrote about a, about about communes here. No, I was just saying because you were, you were talking about the intentional lifestyle and opting out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's. I mean, he lived I, in Beijing. He lived in Beijing for how long? Seven. Years? Seven years. I've written yeah. this. I, I write about my life in Dallas. It's it's just like a slice of. It's in the English version. Oh right. Okay. And it's just like a. It's on the op-ed page. Does that have a name? Okay. It, you've got a column. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like a column, except it's not a column. But you could say I'm a columnist without a column. I don't know. They they publish <laughs> me every week or two. Well, that's great. Yeah. It, yeah, so I, mean, I, I just write about my observations here. I, I try and just like, you know, uh, I just read the New York Times columnists, see what they're doing, just try and do the same thing as best I can, but in China. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm not sure which column he's talking about exactly, but I, I do often write about, you know, because this, this, it's full of people who've opted out. So yeah, that and, and that's comes the interesting story. I mean, you're not going to write about people coming off the bus going to Fujian, right? <laughs> um, well, you must have seen the the, the Times piece on uh, Dalit. Yeah, on like uh, people, uh, environmental refugees. I guess is what they coined them. Uh, how, how long goes this one? Oh, it's a while. I mean, yeah, half I, a year. I heard about it. I didn't actually read it. I think you would find it just like, oh yeah, that's happening. Yeah, that's a thing. obviously. Yeah, happening. yeah. Uh, but it caught a lot of attention of the, the parents of the children because we do we do serve the chattering classes and indeed read the New York Times. Important. Oh, and they they must have been thrilled that their child was here instead of Shanghai, right? Yes. Yeah. Although I've had Chinese, uh, wealthy Chinese go. What the hell are you doing? These kids should be in, in Beijing and Shanghai, and they should be rubbing elbows with the uh, elite. The elite, because that's who's going to rule the world. I feel like that's sort of like saying when when people say to me like, "You're from America. It's super nice there. Why are you here?" Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, okay. do you know how much an iPad costs in America? <laughs> <laughs> Same as here. Maybe a little cheaper. <laughs> That's it's so interesting. Oh, this one's pregnant too. Look at that. All these cats are pregnant. Well, normally I like to sit around and talk and drink beer, but I feel stupid because I've got like two really good musicians. And we I don't get to pick here too. at all. I mean, I don't get to pick at all. We need to get in. Well, we're going to change that. I would love. To How much longer are you here until you, the semester wraps up? Till May. 
Okay, so we got another month or two. We got we got another. We there's actually. When are you coming actually, back from Beijing? So I'm going to Beijing in a few days, I guess. Yeah. Okay, just cobblestone. You know. Okay, just so you know, cobblestone who does not officially exist. Sounds like something I maybe I should know. You should know. <laughs> Cobblestone will tell you all about it. Uh, no, I think it'd be great. Um, I, I would love while Cobblestone's here to do some some music stuff. What's his instrument? Uh, he banjo guitar. Um, oh, he, he plays banjo. Great. He does play banjo. Great. I need banjo teachers. Uh, he, he's he's he's. Is he claw hammer or three he, finger? He can, or? Uh, claw oh, hammer. He's an old time. Great. That'll be the most claw. That'll be the most claw hammer banjos in Cijo ever. There's another claw hammer. <laughs> Is there really? There's another claw hammer player, and he's oh good. He's better oh, than yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's about to go to Sanya. We need a fiddle player here, though. Don't we? we need fiddle players. Fiddle players. We don't. There's me, but I'm horrible. I'm at the year one level, which is... Six months, six months. Well, see, uh, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I mean, I've been playing for, like, since the 70s, but I started on the gut bucket. And I'm really fucking good on the gut bucket. Really? I'm really good on the gut bucket. <laughs> so you can build those? Yeah. You can help me build one of those? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I did. I oh built one in Tibet. Great. And I played with a Tibetan band in, uh, in Pena. That is awesome. Um, but... So that's why that like, day, I was like embarrassed because it's like, okay, well, and if there's a mandolin, I can do like, I can chop on the mandolin a little bit. But basically, I've always played gut bucket and bass because I've been blessed all my life to play with people like who are so much better than I am that I've been able to. You should make a gut bucket with, uh, with the kids at the school. What, these kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did this. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah, I will have cobblestone bring some strings over. And then we'll make some gut bucket. Great. Great. Because it's a lot easier to travel with a gut bucket than yeah. a double bass. Yeah. What strings do you need for a gut bucket? A D gut string is the best. But, okay. I mean, it's really just like... <laughs> so, so I, you told him about cobblestone, but I don't know anything about cobblestone. International man of mystery. How does um, he get in? If I, 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 is he, he off has, the grid? He has. He's off the grid. I do all of his uh, international banking. <laughs> he works on my cabin in exchange. Uh, we recently had a raccoon uh, that was wounded. How did? How does he crawled travel? into my bathroom through the cat door and got blood and shadow over so cobblestone will go in and he's a fixer and he'll clean all that up he's going to paint the, the cocoon blood off the wall and I figure that's that's worth like a, a plane flight from Beijing to Kunming does, does, he, does he like look like you and you just like FedEx your passport to him and travel no no he has a, a very very closely held like he doesn't let people know he has a passport, but it doesn't say cobblestone on it. No. Right. What I should do is, just for fun, I should, to freak him out, this would be really fun, is I will tell you his whole slave name, and I will tell you his passport number, and I'll tell you his date of birth. And we'll announce it at the show. Let me turn off the recording real quick here. So his passport number is... Thanks to John Flower for joining us on this episode. Also, special thanks to Chris Hawk for helping me host this one. Also, thanks to the Linden Center for hosting our jam in the back room. Until next time, happy picking!
て、9時